do you ever doubt or fear that you are not a Christian? Do you ever doubt that you are forgiven? Do you ever live with this vague, nagging sense of God's disapproval? Do you ever fear that maybe you've sinned so many times that you have used up your credit of forgiveness? Do you ever fear that the day may not go as well as expected because you missed your quiet time? Do you ever fear that maybe you could do something to make God love you more or to make Him love you less? Do you ever fear that God is angry and upset with you? If you answered yes to any of those questions then you have been tapped on the shoulder by the devil's filthy paws. Those are the devil's thoughts. Those thoughts come from the devil, not the Holy Spirit. That's what John Bunyan says. You might have heard of John Bunyan from his famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress. But did you know that a year after The Pilgrim's Progress was published, Bunyan published another book called The Treatise of the Fear of God, where he unpacks what it means to fear the Lord. And it's probably the best work out there on the topic. It's really good. And if you can wade through some of the archaic language, it is worth it. But if not, next month, Michael Reeves has a new book coming out on the topic that I'm sure will be the most readable, and it will be the standard moving forward. His new book, which will be published by Crossway, is titled Rejoice and Tremble, The Surprising Good News of the Fear of the Lord. The title alone should grab your attention. I've been looking forward to this book coming out for over a year, and so it's going to be my late Christmas gift to myself next month. But back to John Bunyan's book. In one section, Bunyan poses 10 questions to his readers, like the ones I just posed to you. And after asking questions like, do you ever fear that you aren't saved? Do your fears ever make you question the Holy Spirit's work in your life? Do your fears ever weaken your heart in prayer? Do they hold you back from believing God's promises? Do your fears ever cause you to see God as hard and angry and upset with you? Well, Bunyan tells his readers that if they answered yes to any of those questions, then they have been tapped on the shoulder by the paw of the devil. Bunyan says that these doubts and these fears are not from the Holy Spirit, but from Satan himself. Here's how he says it. These are not his, the Spirit's doings. Dost thou not see the very paw of the devil in them? Yea, in every one of thy ten confessions. Is there not palpably high wickedness in every one of the effects of this fear? So John Bunyan will go on to argue that biblical, gospel-centered fear does not produce these kinds of thoughts. Biblical, gospel-centered fear of God, Bunyan says, does not have this effect on God's children. 
biblical, gospel-centered fear of God actually draws us to God, not away from Him. Think about that. The fear of God actually draws us to God and not away from Him. The fear of God actually renews and rekindles our awe and wonder and astonishment of God. And so our big idea today is simply this. Rekindle your awe during Advent. Pray that the Holy Spirit would rekindle your sense of wonder and awe at the very familiar Christmas story. When you sing songs about the birth of Jesus during this season, pray that you get caught up again in the wonder and awe that he came for you. John Bunyan Bunyan actually says that very thing at the beginning of his book. He says, we ought always to have a reverent awe of God upon our hearts at what time soever we think of or hear his name. So when you hear the name of Jesus in a Christmas song this week, a very familiar Christmas song this week, let it rekindle and renew your awe and amazement that God saves sinners. When you hear the name of Jesus this week, when you're at the grocery store and you're buying milk, because you need milk, and you hear the name of Jesus, or you hear a melody which you know are lyrics about Jesus Let it renew your awe right then and there as you're putting the milk into your shopping cart. Who knew that grocery shopping could renew our sense of awe? Let it renew that sense of wonder that Jesus came to live and die for you. Be flabbergasted that God is good to you. And let that cause you to go and serve the Lord And to live for his far more thrilling kingdom. And that's exactly what we'll see in our passage today. So turn in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 1. Recall what we saw last week. The temple renovation project had been put on hold for some 15 plus years or so. And the prophet Haggai came on the scene and began preaching and calling on the nation to repent. And how they responded to Haggai's sermons is what we'll see next. So Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, hear the word of the Lord. Then Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. And so the result of Haggai's preaching was immediate. Notice how they responded. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. So they obeyed the Lord and went straight to Home Depot and got wood and nails and hammers 
But notice that they feared the Lord too. What does that mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? That's a question that every Christian should know the answer to. And the answer just might surprise you. To fear God isn't to be afraid of Him. For a Christian, to fear God is to live in awe of His unfailing love for us in Jesus. Being afraid of God and having a biblical gospel-centered fear of the Lord are as opposite as law and gospel are opposite. Being afraid of God is not the same thing as fearing the Lord. To fear the Lord is the awe and the wonder that overcomes us as we embrace the staggering truth that He loves and forgives sinners. Like the psalmist said in Psalm 130, If you, O Yahweh, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The idea of fear here is one of gratitude. Our sheer gratitude for His forgiveness is what drives us to love and serve Him and therefore love and serve our neighbor. Notice that it does not say, with you there is punishment that you may be feared, but with you there is forgiveness. Now, you expect it to say, with you there is wrath, with you there is white-hot anger, with you there is punishment, and therefore you are to be feared. But no, it's forgiveness that drives our fear, not punishment. It's forgiveness that drives us to be grateful and to want to love and serve Jesus. And that's what motivated Israel in Haggai's day. And it's why we preach the gospel here. Because one, we forget, and two, we need power to be able to obey and to live for God's kingdom. Now, in Haggai's day, Israel, the nation of Israel and Judah, resettled into the land partly, had forgotten their calling to be a light to the nations. The temple was supposed to remind them not only of God's presence among them, that God wanted to be with them, but also to remind them that their calling was to be a light to the nations. It was to be a gospel reminder to them that God wanted to be close to them and God wanted all of these pagan nations to come in and be close to Him as well. And they forgot that. And so the temple lay in ruins. But notice that the psalmist in 130 isn't afraid of God. Quite the opposite. Because right after verse 4, he goes on to write of how his soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. You don't wait with joy and expectancy for someone that you are afraid of. Then he says, with the Lord there is what? Steadfast love and plentiful redemption. So what Psalm 130 teaches us is that forgiveness is the fertile soil for growing a right and correct understanding of the fear of God. Forgiveness, the gospel, is the soil for growing a right and correct understanding of the fear of the Lord. Because without God's forgiveness, we could never approach Him, and we would never want to. 
Without the cross, God would only be a dreadful judge of whom we would be afraid. Without the cross, we would be scared to death of God. And so the gospel turns our natural dread of God as sinners into the fearful, trembling adoration of beloved children. Our adoption as sons sweetens the relationship. As Paul says in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And it's that same spirit, which we will see in a moment, who stirred the hearts of God's people in Haggai's day to rebuild the temple. And it's that same spirit who rested on Jesus in the incarnation. Get this, Jesus feared the Lord. Jesus feared the Lord. So whatever it means to fear the Lord, Jesus did it. That's why the fear of the Lord cannot be a fear of being punished by Him because Jesus had this same fear and He never sinned. Isaiah the prophet tells us, speaking of the Messiah who would, who would uh, come, In chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, he says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus feared the Lord and delighted in this fear. The fear of the Lord was his delight. That means that the fear of the Lord for Christians is not being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is the fear of a child, a son, a daughter, not wanting to displease their father. That's the fear of the Lord. And Martin Luther is very helpful when we talk about fearing the Lord because Luther made an important distinction between what he called filial fear and servile fear. Fear. Servile feel fear, well, that's a mouthful. Servile fear, Luther said, is the kind of fear that a prisoner has for his torturer. Servile fear is the fear that a criminal has when he sees the executioner coming. But filial fear is a family fear. It's a fear that a son or daughter has for the father. Filial fear is the fear that a child has for for their parents. They don't want to offend or disappoint their parents. Or occasionally they don't want to offend or disappoint their parents. Right, parents? But you see sparks of it, don't you? And you're like, oh, yes, thank you, Jesus. On a good day, children want to please their parents. Filial fear means that we hold God in this holy, childlike awe. Now, the unbeliever, though, on the other hand, should fear God. Absolutely. The unbeliever is under God's wrath. They are in Adam, outside of Christ. They should fear God and repent and flee to Jesus. But for the Christian, the fear of the Lord is not some gloomy doctrine 
The fear of the Lord is not the equivalent of Darth Vader walking into the room and everyone is on edge. And they're whispering to one another, you better be on your best behavior. Lord Vader is here. Lord Vader could hear you say that. Some Christians live and act like that. You better be on your best behavior because Jesus is here. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is actually a beautiful doctrine. It's life-giving. It's good news. I mean, imagine that. The fear of the Lord is good news to be published on the front page. In fact, it's something you need every day because it's this awe and wonder and this flabbergastedness, if that's a word, that an infinitely holy God sent his one and only son to save you. It's a joyful trembling. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's this joyful trembling. It's the bridegroom seeing the bride coming into the church or coming down the aisle for the first time and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It's, it's a military family being reunited again. It's like, oh, it's here. It's this joyful trembling. There's tears of joy just welling up in your eyes as you're waiting to embrace. It's wonder and awe. That's the fear of the Lord. And it sparks and it stirs up obedience and a desire to live for Jesus and to live for his far more thrilling kingdom, which is exactly what's happening here in Haggai. That is a godly fear, my friends. In fact, in his book, John Bunyan shows the difference between what he calls godly and ungodly fear. Ungodly fear Bunyan says, is the fear of a rebel, the fear that Adam had after he sinned in the garden. Godly fear, on the other hand, is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that draws the redeemed in wonder and awe of God. And so godly fear is the opposite of being afraid of God or afraid of His punishment, as if God were some tyrant. Instead, Godly fear is our love for and delight in and enjoyment of all that God is for us in His Son, Jesus. So to fear God is not to run from Him. It's to run to Him. To run to Him in our sin when we've blown it, when we feel weighed down by guilt and shame. But how often we're afraid of God and therefore afraid to have good thoughts of God. When we are afraid to have good thoughts of God, that's a sign that the paw of the devil has tapped us on the shoulder and he wants our attention. Puritan John Owen is right when he says that some believers are afraid to have good thoughts of God. They think it a boldness to eye God or to see God as good, gracious, tender, kind, loving. And they think herein they do well. They think they do, they're, they're right. They think, I'm doing a good thing by not thinking God is kind and, and gracious. I'm doing a, a good thing if I think of Him as angry and always upset with me. No. They think it a boldness to eye God as good, gracious, tender, kind, and loving. And they think herein they do well. 
It is exceedingly grievous to the Spirit of God, Owen says, to be so slandered in the hearts of those whom he dearly loves. Let me ask you today, are you afraid to have good thoughts of God? Are you afraid to think of him as merciful and kind when you've just blown it for the thousandth time? You think, I'm doing a good thing by not thinking of him as as merciful to me right now. Because I promised I'd never do this again, and I did it again, so I can't think of him as being merciful. I better think of him as just thinking, oh, oh, can't you get your act together? No. Owen says, that is grievous to the Spirit of God. To fear God biblically is to have good thoughts of him. It's a heartfelt and happy enjoyment of God. In other words, to fear God is to enjoy God. And so John Owen and John Bunyan want to give you some advice as 2020 comes to a close with only about 12 days left until Christmas. They would tell you, rekindle your awe during Advent. Haggai told Israel, rekindle your awe during August. That's when he preached. And he's telling us today, rekindle your awe during Advent in December. To rekindle your awe is to rekindle your fear of God. It's to rekindle your desire to love and serve Him. It's to rekindle a desire to spend time with God in prayer and to draw near to Him. Listen, God does not want you to run away from Him. He wants you to run to Him. That is the glory of the gospel. And so this Advent, don't shy away from Jesus. He wants you to draw near in full assurance of faith to spend time with him in prayer, and to read his word. It was his word that rekindled the fear of the Lord in Haggai's day. Verse 12 tells us, look at verse 12, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. The word of God is kindling that the Holy Spirit uses to rekindle our hearts and set them aflame. It was the word of God, the sermons of Haggai that stirred up God's people so that they labored on the temple renovation project with joy. In fact, the Hebrew phrase stirred up is the same phrase that is used to describe the the stirring up of the heart of the Persian king Cyrus some 16 years earlier when he sent home the first wave of exiles. It's a reminder that God controls the human heart, that God moves and controls all politicians, and they do His will. And the same thing happens in local churches. God is sovereign over the will of every human being on this planet. That'll humble you, and that'll rekindle your awe if you let it. God is sovereign over the will of every human being on this planet. Wow. But it's important to understand here that the people did not work up this renovation project on their own. The text tells us that it was the Lord who stirred them up. And so whenever we obey the Lord, it is His Spirit doing His work in our hearts. It's a tough pill to swallow for the prideful person. But Haggai 1.14 is in the Bible to remind us that if we do any good, if we do any good, it is the Lord who gives the desire and the power 
to do it. Let me say that again. Because there might be a prideful person here. I don't know. If we do any good at all, it is the Lord who gives us that desire and power to do it. And so God is sovereign, not just over our justification and our adoption into his family, but he's even sovereign over our sanctification. That will humble you. And if you ever see evidence of God's grace in your life, be humbled by that and just give thanks. And so Haggai preached on the first day of August, verse 1 tells us. And then three weeks later, on August 24th, they began work on the temple. But it's not that it took them three weeks before they responded and obeyed. They responded right away to Haggai's preaching. The reason it took three weeks to begin rebuilding the temple is because they had to go get wood. They had to cut down the trees. They had to make their own two-by-fours. So they really obeyed immediately, but the actual rebuilding on site began three weeks later after a few trips to Home Depot. The Word of God is what stirred up their hearts and produced this desire, this obedience to rebuild. The Word of God is the kindling that the Holy Spirit uses to set aflame our affections for Jesus once again. Sinclair Ferguson says, The pathway to joy, then, is to give ourselves maximum exposure to His Word. It is joy food for the joy-hungry soul. Do you need some joy for Christmas this year? Maybe joy is on your Christmas list. The pathway to joy is maximum exposure to God's Word. I love the phrase he uses, joy food for the joy-hungry soul. Are you joy-hungry today? Are you joy-hungry this Advent season? You can have that joy by maximum exposure to God's Word. So just put your phone down for 10 minutes and just feed on God's Word. You will not be sorry. Just put it down for 10 minutes. You won't be sorry. Listen, I have never been sorry for reading God's Word. Sometimes, and y'all probably aren't like me, but sometimes I don't want to read God's Word. Maybe that surprises you, I don't know. But I'm just being honest. Some days I don't want to read the Bible. It's just easier to get on my phone and get on Instagram or something. And so I have to fight that. I have to make myself read. And never once have I done that and felt cheated or ripped off because I read the Bible instead of reading some thread on Twitter. Listen, just like in Haggai's day, joy food for the joy-hungry soul is available for all of us. Let's dig in. And when we do it, our awe, the fear of the Lord, will be rekindled. And that's never a bad thing, is it? Whoever said, my fear of the Lord was increased when I read the Bible today. Such a bummer. Now my day is ruined. Said no one ever. Do you want to rekindle your awe this Advent? Pick up this book or open the app and read or listen. Why? Because the Word of God shows us who God is in all of His resplendent beauty and holiness. And that knowledge shapes our fear and awe and our overwhelmedness, if that's a word. That's what Haggai's sermons did. 
the preached word rekindled their awe that God wanted to draw near to them. Now, let me say something else about the fear of God. Of course, we don't come flippantly into God's presence. If you think for a minute that you can approach God flippantly or live life as a Christian as if it doesn't matter how you live, then you haven't read your Bible enough. Hebrews 4.16 does not say, let us then flippantly draw near. Listen, if you think you can just live any way that you want to, and disregard God, and disregard His wisdom and His Word, you might want to go visit a few people in the Bible, like Uzzah, who reached out and touched the ark and died, or Eli's wicked sons, who were priests, or the wicked kings of Judah and Israel, or Ananias and Sapphira, or King Herod, who in Acts 12 was eaten by worms, to name a few people. If you think you can approach God flippantly, you need to read your Bible before you end up in the obituary section of the newspaper. But as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of God. Instead, we are in awe, and we can't believe that He has been so good to sinners like us. We are awestruck that the gospel is true. That's really what it means to live in awe of God. It's just too good to be true, but it is true. I I can't believe it, but I believe it. And that's exactly what Haggai's audience must have thought after something else he told them in his sermon. They probably said, it's just too good to be true, but it is true. We can't believe it. But we believe it. What would make them say this? Well, look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Not only did the people turn to the Lord after Haggai's preaching, but they found that the Lord was turning to them. God was drawing near to them. He wasn't aloof. He wasn't standoffish or keeping his distance. Haggai dropped a gospel bomb on these fickle, now repentant people with these words, I am with you, declares the Lord. In spite of their sin and laziness in rebuilding the temple and restoring public worship, after they repented, they discovered that there was an immediate restoration of their relationship with the Lord. That's how God deals with us. He does not put us in a timeout. After we repent and turn back to Him. We're not on a probationary period. As if we had to wait for God to cool down before we can approach Him again. He is eager to renew things and draw near to us. He comes near to us because He wants to. Jerry Bridges said, It is not our contrition or sorrow for our sin... It is not our repentance. It is not even the passing of a certain number of hours during which we feel we are on some kind of probation that cleanses us. It is the blood of Christ, shed once for all on Calvary 2,000 years ago, but appropriated daily or even many times a day, that cleanses our consciences and gives us a renewed sense of peace with God. So we don't have to wait a few hours after we give in to that pet sin that calls out to us. Does anyone here ever do that? I just need to stay away for a few hours. Maybe he'll forget and I can kind of slide in there. Hey, how you doing? We can return to the Lord immediately. And the moment we turn, we find that he is right there eager to shower us 
with mercy and grace. It isn't time that cleanses us. It isn't even our repentance that cleanses us. It's the blood of Jesus. And so what we see happening here with Haggai's sermons is the Lord confronting their sin so that he could forgive them and shower them with mercy and grace. God confronted them about their sin, not because he gets a kick out of it, not because he is a heavy-handed taskmaster, but because he is a loving father who desires to draw near to us, to be with us, to commune with us. Even when we don't act like the people of God, he still identifies with us and calls us his own, just like Haggai and company. So the whole point of rebuilding the temple was to celebrate God's mercy and kindness, not to drive home fear of punishment. The temple was all about God drawing near to his people and his people drawing near to him. It was all about rekindling their awe of Yahweh, rekindling their fear their astonishment, their joy. It was meant to draw sinners to God and not away from them and then to send them out to invite the nations to come in so that they too could draw near to God. And Israel forgot this. Understand this, Grace. Ungodly fear pushes you away from God. And if you're being pushed away from God, it is not the Holy Spirit. That's the paw of the devil tapping you on the shoulder and giving you a push. The Spirit wants to draw you into the love and mercy of Christ more and more and more because there are deeper waters of grace and mercy to explore. There's deeper waters. We've just, we just stuck our toe in. There are deeper, there are oceans for us to go into. And the devil wants to push us away to draw us away from those waters. And so this week, when you sin, when you don't act like a child of God, rekindle your awe this Advent. How do we do that? Where does the fear of the Lord come from? Well, John Bunyan said that it comes from sensing the love and kindness of Jesus, not being scolded, not being yelled at by God. Here's what Bunyan said. This godly fear also flows from a sense of the love and kindness of God to the soul. Where there is no sense of hope of the kindness and mercy of God by Jesus Christ, there can be none of this fear, but rather wrath and despair, which produceth that fear that is either devilish, but godly fear floweth from some sense or hope of mercy from God by Jesus Christ. Indeed, nothing can lay a stronger obligation upon the heart to fear God than sense of or hope in mercy. This begetteth true tenderness of heart, true godly softness of spirit. This truly endeareth the affections to God. And in this true tenderness, softness, and endearedness of affection to God, lieth the very essence of this fear of the Lord. I mean, who knew? The fear of the Lord, which is not doom and gloom for Christians. The fear of the Lord could be the very thing that you need for Christmas this year. Who knew? 
The fear of the Lord is not the equivalent of Darth Vader walking into the room and using the force to choke you. It's joyful trembling, eyes welling up with tears of joy that the infinitely glorious God came down as a baby and wore diapers and nursed his mother and came to save you. That is humility. And that will humble you if you let it. And I hope you do so. And Christian, I hope you leave today knowing how secure you are. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. You can tell Jesus today, Lord, I've done it again. I said I wouldn't ever do it again. And I did. I'm not behaving like your child. And what does Jesus say? Here's more grace. Here's more grace for that sin. He never says, oh no, not you again. Go away, I'm done with you. You come to Jesus and say, I let you down again. And he says, here's some more grace. Let that rekindle your awe during Advent. Let's pray. Jesus, send your spirit. Rescue us from our dullness and smugness. Blessed Holy Spirit, we know it's your utter delight to answer such a cry. Open the eyes of our hearts right now. Give us faith-filled eyes that we might run to Jesus with awe-filled hearts. Make him the most marvelous one in our gaze today. And Jesus, the only reason, we know it's true, the only reason we have any inclination to run to you is because in the gospel, you're always running to us, hurrying to be merciful to us, speedy to be graceful to us, and quick to be gentle, kind, and forgiving. What foolish people we are to look anywhere else. Help us rekindle our awe, we ask in your name. Amen.